Good morning. Today is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. This is a regular meeting of the Building Inspection Commission. I would like to remind everyone to please mute yourself if you're not speaking. The first item on the agenda is roll call. Vice President Tam. Here. Commissioner Newman. Here. Commissioner Shaddix. Here. Commissioner Summer. Here. Um, we have a quorum. Commissioner Alexander Toot is expected and Commissioner and President Beto is excused. And uh, next we have our land acknowledgement. The Building Inspection Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Alhoni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula as the, as the indigenous stewards of this land in, in, in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Alhoni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Alhoni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Okay. Stop video? Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay, next, also for um, any members of the public who are listening in, uh, the, now it's like an echo. Is, can you mute your, mute your thing? The public comment uh, call-in number is 415-655-0001. The access code is 2492-104-0778. To raise your hand for public comment on a specific agenda item, press star three when prompted by the meeting moderator. Um, next, we have item two, um, President's opening remarks. And Seeing that Madam Chair is not here, let's move on to agenda item number three. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, next, we have item three, general public comment. The BIC will take public comment on matters within the commission's jurisdiction that are not part of this agenda. Any general public comment? Okay. Any remotely? Okay. Seeing none, um, next we have item four, discussion and possible action on the time allowed for remote public comment. So um, commissioners, basically this item is, uh, I guess one of our new kind of directives is to have an allotted amount of time for remote public comment. And the standard is uh, 20 minutes just to, to give a start or give an idea. Um, but it, the time can remain the same if you guys are okay with that, or it can be, um, or it can be extended. So you said the, the standard is 20 minutes. Um, that's just that was just a number that right. they came up with, right? Um, so say for for each item, it's 20 minutes allowed for remote public comment, unless a board or commission opts to change that. No, I I prefer to keep it the way it is as right now. Okay. Does any of the other commissioners have any comment on that? Is that the way it is now? Is that what you're saying? Or you're saying we are changing it to be? No, I that's the way it is now. Oh, oh, okay. I believe we're at two minutes right now. Uh, well, well, it's um, each each person still has uh, the stand is three minutes for public comment, and then if it 
if there's a lot of people, sometimes we can adjust it to two. So each person still has their same amount of time. This is just the total amount of time allowed for public, for public comment for one item. Mm -hmm. Remotely, not in person. In person it is. Just for remote, for anyone. in person, it's, it, those um, rules don't apply. And what is the thinking behind making a distinction between those allowed to speak remotely and those speaking in person? Because I'm hesitant to limit um, people's ability to make public comment. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I know that perhaps there's, we want to encourage people to show up in person, but it's difficult for a lot of people. And if there's an important issue, I want to be sure that we're hearing what everyone has to say on that. Yeah, I, I can't say what's behind it. I just, we received that direction. From so we just, we, we have to set a, a allotted time limit? You can, you, you don't, um, you don't? Because we have to put it on the agenda now. Yeah. So right now it says 20 minutes, so do we want to like extend it so to an hour or something? It's 20 minutes, the standard. Okay. Right, which means to extend it, it or. Which means at a maximum, you know, 10 people, if we reduce it down to two minutes per person, that 10, pe 10 people can make a Correct. comment remotely on any given issue. Correct. Right. And so can we choose to extend this at a, like if we see that there is an, an influx of people and people are calling in, can we choose to extend this at another date? Um, I think so. I think that's what Cynthia's saying. Okay. Like at, at the time of public comment, we can make the decision to extend the comment. Uh, yes, Deputy City Attorney Peter Milianich, at, at um, the next meeting, if you expect a large number of public comments on a particular item, you are. Um, permitted to extend the time for a remote public comment then. I, I still think that 20 minutes seems a little Did you have a suggestion short. on? Um, I mean, at least double that, but it, it also seems like we're, we're creating a cap and then it's at, we're leaving it so that who, it's at our discretion to allow more or less public comment. And um, I don't know. That's that's hard for me to. <laughs> that's not sitting well with me. If you wanted just to to make a motion to to add more time, you can do that. And then if you get a second, then we we would we would increase the time. But should we discuss maybe what people think is an appropriate amount of time? Just to be clear, we have not. This group has not dealt. We have not ever had to cap anything, right? Right. Yeah. We, no, never we haven't. Capped. But no. This is just this is just kind of a new. Uh, a new policy that that came into effect since we've uh, since the city has gone back to all having all boards and commissions meet in person, and the only uh, really remote option is for um, public comment. Perhaps maybe we find a middle ground, thirty minutes first, and then if we can if we see that there is an influx of calls, we can adjust it accordingly. Uh, how do how do other folks feel about this? As long as it's flexible, um, you know, so if we're saying 20 minutes or 30 minutes, um, but if we do have a large influx of calls, then the chair, I assume that would be the chair, um, the president of the commission would ask for an extension of the time, and I'd be fine with that. Right, but then it's, it's, it's at, at that moment, it's at our discretion mm -hmm. whether or not we want to continue to, to hear something, right? So yeah. um, it, it's... It, there's a, there is we're limiting people's ability and I'm thinking about how we had um, the SRO folks come in and speak and uh, you know that was 
you know, over an hour of people making public comment. And it, if we didn't feel like we wanted to keep listening to it, we could say, hey, we're. Well, would you like to make a motion now? to extend the time? <laughs> sure. Um, <clears throat> I, but I'm just kind of trying to get a better feel yeah. for like what is an appropriate amount of time. I mean, seeing that we've never capped or encountered that situation, we can't. I can't put a gauge on that. Yeah. So if you want, if you feel that forty minutes is more sufficient, sure. I'm I'm good with that as well. Yeah. Should we? Yeah, you can. Um, you can make a motion to extend it to. I, but now that. Uh, Oh, Commissioner Tudor, here. Uh, this might be something yes. that she's interested in commenting on <laughs> yes. as well. Yes, for the record, uh, Commissioner Alexander Toot is present, and we're actually on the agenda item regarding um, remote public comment. So currently, there's a, a just a standard that was kind of uh, presented that most boards and commissions will allow 20 minutes for um, remote public comment. There is there isn't a restriction for in-person public comment. But the, the commission, each board and commission has the option of determining whether they want to extend that time. So that's what the discussion is right now. And I, I was discussing with the group extending that time and like what seems appropriate because um, at 20 minutes, that means a maximum of 10 people can speak um, remotely. Um, we have the option in the moment to extend the time, but I I don't want that to sort of. Uh, and there's it, also I don't want it to, to necessarily be discretionary how many people get to to speak right. publicly, but remotely. Yes, please. Sorry. Deputy City Attorney Peter Milianich again. Just from a public policy and good government perspective, I would suggest that the commission would not want to contemplate revising the allowable amount of public comment for a particular agenda item at a future meeting. That decision could be taken more broadly for public comment at the beginning of a future meeting for all items, but to avoid um, any appearance of impropriety or bias, um, we wouldn't uh, recommend that that decision be made for a particular item. Um, if your concern is that there would not be enough time, then you could simply allow for um, a more stand, a, a larger uh, amount of standard time for public comment as Commissioner Newman is suggesting and contemplate revising that downward if it um, becomes unworkable for the commission at future meetings. Did you have anything to add to that, yeah. Commissioner? <laughs> um, thank you. I, we get such few public comment when it is a hot topic what once in the last <laughs> three years i'm not inclined to put any limitation on that i don't think if we have an uh, once every 18 months if we have an hour and a half worth of public comment it obviously means people really really care um i understand that in person there's no limitation but you know as a mom, as someone who also works full time, I know how difficult it is to show up in person, and I don't think that that burden should be a requirement in order to give feedback. And I am inclined not to. I, I don't think that there may be other instances where commissions make the decision because they have to um, 
they're not be able to get business done because of that. I don't think that applies to us. I don't think it's ever been the situation. So I'm inclined not to have this apply to us at all, um, if that's an option, just because it's it's so, so extremely rare. And the circumstance I can see it, you know, when we have a lot of public comment, it's gonna be on stuff that's like probably really, really important because this is not a place where people are just, you know, constantly coming and giving feedback. So I would, I'm inclined not to, not to, I don't feel like this um, is necessary for our commission. So are you implying that we remove a time allowed at, at in general or? Is that an option not to have the 20 minutes? Or do we have to have a, do is that an option? Do we have, to have I, a time limit to it? We do, right? Um, Deputy City Attorney Peter Milianich again, you can choose not to limit, to have a time limit for remote public comment. Um, our agenda uh, agenda notices do include the standard 20 minute time limit now. So we would revise that and not include that language on further, uh, future agendas if you choose not to limit remote public comment. That's, that's where is my- that, Is that the motion? Is that a motion that someone wants to make? I don't know where we are in the process. Um, are we needing a motion? Not, I'm not quite yeah. there okay. that like we uncap it just because we do like have to, you know, I don't I don't see it being an issue either, but I I feel like we should have a we cap. should maybe you know, an hour and a half or mm -hmm. something. An like hour. That. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to make a motion to cap this at sixty minutes. Okay. For remote public discussion. Or okay. public comment. Okay. Is there a second? Second. Okay. And we can always ad adjust this okay. as we so, go along. So there's a motion and a second to the policy. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry to extend that time to to 60 minutes or one hour for remote public comment. Um, is there any public comment on the motion? Yes. Okay. Good morning. My name is Jerry Drattler, and I've been going to big meetings for 10 years. Frequently, I'm the only person who makes public comment. So I, I think we're talking about a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. The only time in the last 10 years I've seen that be a problem with the SRO issue. Um, the Planning Commission has a lot more participation. And what they do is when there's a lot of people who want to speak in person or remotely, they reduce the speaker's time. So I, I believe 60 minutes is is a, a limit we'll never experience, but I think we're talking about a problem for a solution, excuse me, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, is there any additional public comment? Okay, seeing none, I'll do a roll call vote on that motion. Vice President Tam? Yes. Commissioner Alexander Tooth? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. And Commissioner Summer? Yes. The motion carries unanimously. Okay, next we have item five, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors ordinance, file number 230373, amending the existing building code to require buildings with 15 or more stories constructed after 1998 to conduct and submit facade inspection reports in addition to other requirements. Good morning, Vice Chair Tam, Commissioners, I'm Carl Nacito, Legislative Affairs Manager 
here to introduce item five, which Sonia just read, so I won't repeat it. Um, Sonny Angulo, who is chief of staff to uh, board president Erin Peskin, who is the sponsor of this legislation, wanted to be here today, but she was caught up in another meeting. Um, she might make it, but for now, you have me. Um, if I can have the slides, please, the next slide. So this is review and approval of an ordinance to require facade inspection reports for buildings constructed after 1998 with 15 or more stories. The way it is now in chapter 5F of the existing building code, owners of buildings that are five stories or taller have to submit an inspection report documenting the safety of their facade of their buildings. But buildings that received a permit after 1998 are exempt. So this legislation proposes an amendment to 5F to revise the exemption for buildings built after 1998 from that blanket exemption to one that only applies to buildings that are more than 14 stories and require an initial facade inspection for buildings, sorry, that are 15 stories or taller by November 1st, 2023, or within six months of notification from DBI, whichever is sooner. So the intent of this ordinance is to respond to the window failures that occurred in recent storms. This would uh, give D DBI the ability to require building owners to inspect their facades to make sure that they are safe. If I can have the next slide, please. So, oh, one, one slide, sorry. I was, so the CAC, as they normally do, did consider this ordinance at their meeting last week. And they had some recommendations for the BIC, which are included in your packet in a letter, but I'd like to highlight those briefly. The CAC recommended that DBI commission a study of recent window failures during winter storms by a qualified engineering firm to determine if there's a common design flaw in the glazing attachment methods or in calculating wind loads. And they essentially recommended focus, focusing specifically on the glazing system of a building instead of the complete facade. Uh, the CAC uh, suggested that that study by a qualified engineering firm inform the requirements for future facade inspections of the glazing system, which could cause failures in future windstorms. And the CAC also recommended requiring the glazing specific facade inspections be for all buildings 15 stories or more. And if I could have the next slide. DBI staff suggests that the BIC make a recommendation of approval of this ordinance, file number 230373, to the Board of Supervisors, but with the following conditions in light of the CAC's recommendations. DBI would procure a study of all recent window failures by a qualified engineering firm to establish the criteria for glazing system specific facade inspections. And that criteria would be used for those glazing specific facade inspections under this proposed ordinance. And DBI staff also suggest requiring buildings with 15 stories or more and built after 1998 to submit those inspection reports as the ordinance proposes. So that is before you for consideration today and I'm happy to answer any questions. And open this up to any of my oh. fellow commissioners. Um, well, do, is there any public comment first? Any public comment on Sam? 
Good morning. My name is Jerry Drantler. Fifteen stories appears to be an arbitrary limit. There are many shorter buildings with glass curtain wall issues that would be exempt from the proposed legislation. 555 Fulton is an example of a curtain wall problem, and I believe the problem is due to the developer's policy of importing foreign building products that may not be compliant with U.S. building product standards. So I think there's a, um, an area of concern for public safety that the proposed legislation does not address, and that would be the use of um, imported building products that don't meet U.S. standards. Thank you. Is there any additional public comment? Um, seeing none, uh, commissioners. Commissioner Shaddix. Thank you, uh, Carl. Question for you: the, the the CAC recommended the study um, on the uh, failures of the uh, glazing. Um, the study itself, how do you have a time frame on that? Like how how soon would that happen? How long would a report take to provide? And uh, just kind of commenting, I should have said that from the beginning. That was kind of scary reading all of these glasses glass falling out of the, the skyscrapers. So I, I I think it needs some attention for yeah. sure. I just yeah. want to see what the time limit on or time frame on this is. So currently we're working internally within DBI to take advantage of the mayor's emergency declaration as a result of these winter storms, which um, reduces the contracting requirements to allow us to quickly um, get an engineering firm on board to do this study. So, so assuming that that timeline works, we'd like to have an engineering firm on board, you know, within a month, and a study produced, I think, by the the end of by the end of August, so that then we would have the criteria in place um, to inform the building owners about what these facade inspections would 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 require. Let me just ask one more question, if I may. So if that study came back in August, then we're, for repairs that might need to be done, we're probably talking the end of the year, maybe beginning of next year before any, especially if there was a structural failure or a glazing failure, then that wouldn't be remedied until, or required to be remedied until next year? Correct. Correct. The intent is to get ahead of the next uh, rainy season, um, but whether or not that timeline works, I think, is to be determined. I think we just got our first uh, limit on our comments, so I heard the bell. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was, my, that was my accident. Okay, thank you, Carl. Yeah. You have an hour. <laughs> Commissioner Toot, Alexander Toot. Yes, thank you. Um, I actually had a question for the department. Um, do we, do, uh, for the history of, of code violations that are current, are they all over 15? Does that seem... You know, can you kind of give us some information about the history of obviously what's happening right now and then kind of some history about uh, violations of this type? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question, uh, Commissioner Toot. Uh, yes, uh, all of the failures that occurred uh, during the recent storms are 15 or more stories. Um, it is true that we've had glazing failures in the past over many years. And uh, typically what we do when we have an incident uh, where there is uh, anything that, that becomes detached from a building, for that matter, is we write a notice of violation and we ask for uh, the area to be made safe. And uh, that 
uh, an engineering evaluation be provided to us regarding the adjacent uh, areas and the other facades of the building. I had a follow-up question around um, notices of violation. So sometimes these things drag out for a very long time. <laughs> um, and my question is, do we have mechanisms? So let's say someone gets a notice of violation and they're not getting their permits. They're, you know, like this is a, I seems to be a heightened, there's a heightened concern on public safety on this. Do we have other tools in our toolbox besides just the, current you know notice violation then there's a <laughs> director's hearing and this can kind of drag out for a very long time do we have um tools to expedite the process yeah well what we do in those cases commissioner is we work with the city attorney to um, um, exert a little bit more pressure on the building owner in regards to uh, achieving compliance and is there um I guess I would, I'd be curious to find out if there's something that we can write into this legislation that would give us more, um, more enforcement power than we currently have in our, like, could we have shorter timelines time for, for fixing these things? Can we have um, stronger penalties for failing to meet the timelines? Uh, we have violations that sit and sit and sit and, um, uh, I don't, I don't think the commission would be in agreement that we don't want to see that happen here. Yeah, and, and to that, I mean, we understand that this is a, of, of great concern to the, the community and to, you know, anyone who is a pedestrian ha and happens to be walking by these buildings. So we would uh, obviously reach out to the city attorney if we realized that our normal enforcement process was going to be such that, you know, we might you know, have a, an additional problem in the meantime. Well, that would be my feedback to um, President Peskin's office is to consider enforcement timelines and strengthening language and around um, giving us more tools and the city more tools to make sure that the uh, appropriate timelines are met. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Summer. So your, the um, DBI's recommendation is to recommend approving the legislation with three recommended amendments or, or updates or, or however you're phrasing it, right? Correct, yeah. So what does that mean then if something is approved with, I mean, we're not approving, obviously, we don't make legislation here, but what does it mean if they receive that back? Does it mean they would rework it necessarily or not, not necessarily? Not necessarily. Okay. They can consider any proposed modifications or amendments. Um, they can disregard the board. The land use committee can disregard those suggested amendments. They can adopt them. They can make additional amendments um, if they're substantive. I think they would have to come back to the BIC if, if it was outside of what we're discussing here and what you um, recommend today. Um, but it's it's... You know, you can, uh, you can recommend approval, you could recommend disapproval, and any number of modifications. And in your view, recommending approval with modifications suggests that you support overall the, you know, the effort, but that there are some things that you would prefer 
be updated? Or well, we definitely think these um, recommendations are additive to what President Peskin has proposed. Um, some of these things, like I said, we might be able to do administratively if we use the mayor's emergency order, um, but we think you know this is these are all pieces to the puzzle that would um, present good policy for the department that are, like I said, in addition to what President Peskin has proposed. Uh, my thought, I mean, reading the Code Advisory Committee's advice, I, I agreed with their proposal to investigate a little further and, and let that inform better the, the legislation that is being developed. My question was, um, and I think I, I'm, I'm in favor of, you know, approve um, or recommend approving with the recommendations noted. Um, I was curious, so th the legislation in indicates that the building owners for these buildings need to submit a facade study. Right now it's facade study. We're saying maybe change that to be a glazing study or, or whatnot. Is that immediately or, or within some certain time period? Is it periodically? And, and forgive me for not having... So the, it, within the legislation, it says within six months of DBI notifying oh, them please. or November 1st, 2023, which is at whichever is sooner. Yep. Um, is that a one-off then or is it? I think it, I think it would be standard. I, I think we would we would notify all of these buildings at the same time. Right. Um, and expect those reports back at the but same time. But I mean, time. I'm saying for, is, an, is there then a recurring evaluation period like you do for, you know, balconies and things like yeah, that? Yeah, I think or? it's 10 years, every okay. 10 years. Um, but I might need to rely on you know, some help for that one. Um, yeah, nod. Okay, great. <laughs> After the initial inspection every 10 years. Got it, okay, okay. So it's, it's basically, I mean, the, the ordinance is basically bringing a group of buildings that was exempt before into this and starting that cycle now. Exactly. And then every 10 years need to get that. Exactly that, right. Which would hopefully address, you know, issues that come up in these big storms. Makes sense. Do they feel that 10 years is sufficient given the elements and things that, you know, the wear and tear of this? I mean, it's still a life safety issue in 10 years. A lot can happen, you know, with, with the, the winds that we've had lately. Um, you know, it, is that sufficient? Or the studies will kind of dictate that? Well, I think the study would inform that. I think also, you know, we do rely on complaints and also, you know, building engineers who are more intimately familiar with, with their properties who hopefully are keeping tabs on the condition of it already. Um, but, you know, the t totality of all of that, I think 10 years would be sufficient, but happy to consider a shorter time frame if that's what the commission suggests. Well, and I would think, I mean, uh, the life of a design life of a building is 50 years. It's supposed to be Good to go. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do, do you foresee any other amendments coming up from the supervisor? No, not in particular. I do think you know we've we've discussed these with the supervisor's office, and they they agree with what staff is recommending. Um, so I do think that any amendments will be within you know this realm. Did you have a comment? Are my other commissioners good? Like to make a mo motion to uh, recommend approval with the with the amendments with the amendments or how are you calling them with the yeah, how would we phrase this oh yeah I believe it's with added the added amendments correct yeah yeah conditions or modifications modifications so to approve the legislation in addition to the modifications like to recommend to approve the amendments with the recommended modifications okay second. Okay, so there is a motion and a second. Is there any public comment? Or did I do public comment? I did public comment already? 
is there a Okay, we did public comment. Uh, <laughs> do a roll call vote on the item. Vice President Tim? Yes. Commissioner Alexander Toot? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. Okay, next we have item six. Um, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance file number 230212-2, amending the planning, building, and fire codes to codify the annual waiver of awning replacement fees and awning signed fees applied for during the month of May to annually waive fees for new awning installations applied for during the month of May in addition to other requirements. Thank you, Carl Nasita, Legislative Affairs Manager. Again, just here to introduce Tita Bell, who's Chief of Staff to Joel and Supervisor Joel Engardio, who's the sponsor of this legislation. You did hear this ordinance uh, last time. What you're considering today is a, sub a substitute ordinance that did have some clarifying, clarifying edits to the building code, which is why you're considering it again today. So I'd like to introduce Tita Bell. Good morning, commissioners. Good morning, director. Um, I'm Tita Bell from Supervisor Joel Engardio's office. This substituted legislation, um, first of all, thank you for recommending the approval of the original version of this. Um, and there are essentially two changes that our office has made to this uh, piece of legislation. The key one is to add references to the fire code because the intent of this program was to also waive fees related to um, the installation of new awnings, replacing existing awnings, pedestrian level lighting that um, were required under the fire code. So there, you'll see language referencing the fire code um, and, and the waiver um, language is on page two. And the other thing that this substituted version does is it removes the requirement for the planning department and the um, Department of Building Inspection to certify that the applicant is a small business. We believed that that would have been too onerous um, and unnecessarily complicated, and we're hoping that there could be a self-certification process that would allow um, the reviewers of the permit applications to be satisfied that the applicant um, qualifies for this waiver. If there are any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Okay. Thank Commissioner you, Shaddix. Tina. Thank you, thank you, Tina. Fast question on the self-certification. I'm involved in a lot of these type of programs, and on the online, typically it's an online portal. Um, isn't you know, the ban all you need, the, the, the business account number? Um, doesn't that then forward make the application go forward. So basically, if you have a ban, you are certified. I'm hoping that that is how it works. There was some question about um, there being two, definition, two different definitions in various codes of, of what is a small business. One that's used by the treasurer, having to do with gross receipts, and another one that appears in, in these code sections um, tied to the number of full-time employees that a business has. We're relying on the latter definition, okay. and uh, I'm trying to work out these details with the planning department to see what the easiest way would be, um, but this is the definition that has been applied for the past few years that this program, this um, awnings month program has been in place. Okay, thank you. 
Thank you. Okay, thank you. Is there um, any public comment on this item first? And then we'll have additional questions from commissioners if there are any. Any public comments? Any remote public comment? Okay, seeing none, uh, is there any further commissioner questions? Um, motion to recommend. Seconded. So there's a motion, uh, Commissioner Alexander Tude, and a second by Vice President Tam. I'll do a roll call vote on the motion. Vice President Tam? Yes. Commissioner Alexander Tude? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. And Commissioner Summer? Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. Okay, next we have item seven, update on unpermitted awning complaints and community outreach. Good morning, Commissioners. I'm Patrick Hannon, the Communications Director for the Department of Building Inspection. I think we have a presentation to share with you. Uh, what we really want to share is uh, the new process uh, that we've developed uh, to help people legalize unpermitted awnings. Um, just to give a little background information, since November, DBI received 182 complaints about unpermitted awnings throughout San Francisco. Uh, they were everywhere. Um, but they were primarily focused in four neighborhoods, Chinatown, the Richmond, the Haight, and the Tenderloin. Uh, we issued 61 notices of violation. Um, and just to give you a little bit of a comparison, during that same period of time the previous year, we'd received 44 complaints for unpermitted awnings. We did hear some concern from the community about that some of these awnings were longstanding, um, and we wanted to make sure that we could find a way to help them uh, legalize and get permitted and safe awnings um, without putting them through undue process or something that happened for a long, long period of time. Uh, so the first thing we did is we actually did do an investigation on each awning complaint. Uh, we went out and made sure that there was no immediate life safety concerns. Um, but then we said, okay, now that we know that there's no immediate life safety concerns, we temporarily suspended further enforcement um, pending the development of this new process. Next slide. Yesterday, uh, Mayor Breed and Supervisor Peskin introduced an ordinance uh, that creates a temporary amnesty program and a new temporary permitting program that'll run through the end of the year. Uh, this is a simplified process that's really meant to help uh, property owners obtain an awning permit for an existing awning without a licensed contract or an awning installer, significantly lower the cost, the barriers, and the timeline for them to legalize these, these awnings. Um, we've also, the process will also help them abate notices of violation for those 61 property owners that received um, that enforcement action. Next slide, please. Just to walk through what the, uh, the program looks like. First of all, it applies to all existing unpermitted awning. Even if someone didn't get a, a complaint or didn't have an NOV, um, we want to make sure that if, you, if, if somebody has a, an awning that isn't permitted, we want to give them the opportunity to also legalize it and get it, on, on, and get it square. Um, the second thing is that we're waiving all the fees, all the penalties, um, in order to make sure, again, to lower the barriers and give people the chance to get um, these awnings permitted without, uh, without additional financial burden. Uh, we definitely heard from some of the businesses that they are just now coming out of the, the COVID recovery um, and are still trying to get their foothold and getting back in, in, in a good place, and we didn't want to uh, create an, an additional financial strain on them. Um, new uninstalled awnings are not eligible for the program. 
Um, this is really for awnings that are in place. If you are planning on installing a new awning, we have an existing process for that. Uh, and you'll also note that you have to use a licensed contractor or awning installer for a new awning, which is the, 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 the requirement um, currently for new awnings. Um, the other thing we're doing is we're going to conduct substantial community outreach, again, to make sure that the community members that received uh, these complaints and that are concerned about their unpermitted awning have an understanding of what the new process is, and we can really help them get through that process in order to make sure that they are able to take care of this, um, again, with the least burden as, as possible. Next slide, please. So this is a website. It's, it's not up yet. Um, we're going to wait until the ordinance is passed. Right, and that this is actually the process in place. But I would like to walk you through it just briefly so that you can understand what we've done in order to make it as easy as possible. Um, the first thing is that we are uh, describing exactly what a property owner would need to do in order to get their awning permit. Um, then we describe what the forms they would need to provide. Uh, they would need to provide documentation that they, are, they own the property or that they're a licensed contractor. Um, they would need to provide a dimensioned photo, and this is really kind of the cornerstone of what we're trying to do. Um, our excellent front counter staff in the permit center, um, what they decided was that they could take a lot of the information that was on a form and actually have them, the property owner, provide a dimensioned photograph that would be labeled with all the same critical information, but would be easier for the property owner to identify and provide um, rather than having to go through the forms, which sometimes can be a little bit confusing for someone that's not accustomed to doing that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, work. Um, the dimension photo includes things like the size of the awning, the, the height above the ground, the way, and most particularly the way it's attached to the wall um, and to the building and what that building structure is made of to make sure that it is indeed uh, sound and safe and that we can actually put eyes on that before we say, yes, indeed, this, uh, this is a permit that can move forward and be processed. We would also actually have them fill out a, a, a form. We need an, a, a assign permit in order to have a, a vehicle to assign a permit number so that this person, we have a record that this person now has a, a, a permitted awning um, to both make sure that we have that record, they have that record, and should somebody file a complaint against them in the future, that we can then, our, our investigation team can look at it and say, yes, we see that this is a, an awning that has on, already gone through this process and is code compliant. If somebody has a, received a notice of violation, uh, the code requires them to fill out what's called a Form 3-8, which is basically an alteration permit for your building. Um, in that case, they still do have to fill out that form. But I want to note that what we've talked to both our permit center and the Office of Small Business is that if a property owner needs assistance in filling out these forms, determining how do I measure my awning, how do I estimate the weight of the awning, how do I make sure the type of screws that I'm using are the right code compliant screws for the type of building that I have, that we have staff available to actually help them both at, at, in the permit center as well as by reaching out to the Office of Small Business. At the end of that, they will come down to the permit center and they will apply um, and go through an over-the-counter process um, whereby they will get the plan and the, the dimension photo reviewed by staff and then taken around to each of the appropriate uh, permitting stations. Um, and at the end of that, they would go and um, then call and have the awning inspected. We will then send out an uh, inspector to go put eyes on the actual awning, make sure that from their expert view that is safe and code compliant and that it aligns with the plans that were provided uh, with the permit application. Um, after that, we would make a note within, the, within uh, the permit tracking system that, yes, indeed, this awning is code compliant, um, and we would uh, remove any notice of violation that had been applied to that property for this purpose. Next slide, please. 
So I want to call out our, our partner, uh, Katie Tang, and her staff at the Office of Small Business have been excellent partners throughout this process, um, both helping us engage with the community, as well as serving as thought partners as we figured out, well, what's the right path forward, as well as the mayor's office and Supervisor Peskin's office. Um, it's really been a collaborative effort, and I just want to take a moment to recognize that. Um, so the first thing that we're, we're doing is we're going to put that step-by-step -step website up once the uh, ordinance goes live. In the meanwhile, though, later on today, we will have both an example of that dimension photo as well as an outline of the process that I just walked you through so that property owners who want to get a head start and want to start gathering this information can start doing that work even in advance of the ordinance being uh, reviewed, discussed, and passed, hopefully, by the Board of Supervisors. Um, we're also going to create some online videos, both for YouTube and for WeChat. Uh, WeChat's heavily used within the Chinese American community to make sure that people can see really and, and get a description from somebody of exactly how to walk through and, and, and do this, uh, do this pr process. Um, we're going to have a community meeting, uh, similar to the one we did about a month ago, where we go out and explain to people what the new process is, alleviate some concerns about whether further enforcement is coming, and, and tell them about these upcoming days where they can come down to uh, open houses at the permit center where we'll have staff available to again help people walk through, identify what information is needed on the form, figure out what they can get, and if they need to, go and then come back um, and, and really get them to a place so that it's as easy as possible for these property owners um, to legalize these permits and, and make sure that, uh, for us to make sure that they're code compliant. Um, the Office of Small Business is also committed to doing merchant walks, uh, direct outreach to some of these communities to, again, uh, let them know what's going on, let them know about this new process, and help encourage them to come down and take advantage of some of the, the support that we're providing. Um, and finally, we're going to do some media outreach, again, just to try to spread out as wide as possible and make sure that everybody that's impacted by this is aware of both the change that's happening, the temporary nature of the change, but as well as the support that we are prepared to provide. With that, I'm happy to answer any questions, and thank you for your time. I want to thank you, Patrick, and, and really thank the mayor's office and Supervisor Peskin's office, and um, the community spoke, and you guys, everybody listened, and I think this is a great compromise to, to getting this um, issue resolved. The 61 notice of violation that, that was um, reported, um, you did say you, you went out and did a life safety check. Um, that's been documented. Whatever's up this, of these 61s, they're, they're all good to go. They're all safe. All 182 complaints, we okay. went out and took a look at them. Okay. Um, the 61 were, were earlier in the process, and we did issue those notice of violations. But again, we're not conducting further enforcement action, even on those properties, pending while this new process goes through. And as long as they comply by the end of this year and go through the process, no fees, no penalties. Correct. Wonderful. Thank you. Any other comments from my question? No? That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? And any further commissioner comments? Thank you. So next uh, we have item eight, commissioners, questions and matters, 8A, inquiries to staff. At this time, commissioners may make inquiries to staff regarding various documents, policies, practices and procedures which are of interest to the commission. I'll also read 8B, future meetings and agendas. At this time, the commission may discuss and take action to set the date of a special meeting and or determine those items that could be placed on the agenda of the next meeting and other future meetings of the Building Inspection Commission. Um, I have to double check the date of the next meeting, the May 17th. May 17th is the next expected meeting. We have a joint. And yeah, prior to that, there will be a, um, a joint commission hearing of the build, Building and Planning Commission on May 11th. 
Mm-hmm. I believe that time is at 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's May 11th. Mm-hmm. So did commissioners have any inquiries or any um, future agenda items to propose? Commissioner Shaddix. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to revisit the vacancy tax um, that I had suggested. I think it was three months ago, and we had at that time thought about a timeline of around May. But I'm thinking if we're having this joint meeting in May, maybe that's maybe that's a bit too much for that and push it to June. But I'm hoping that perhaps June's agenda, we can take a look at where the vacancies tax um, stands. Now, again, that's a tax collector issue, but as far as what vacancies are on the DBI's website, um, only in the named commercial corridor. It's very specific. It's a narrow ask. Um, I would love to uh, see if we could get kind of a report and should just kind of see where we're at with what DBI shows as vacant storefronts in these named commercial districts. Thank you. Thank you. Other commissioners? I have a question to staff, um, or whoever can answer, maybe the city attorney. Uh, and this is about the, it's a little bit like agenda number four, but we just, we just contemplated a 60 minute, um, time limit for remote. How will that apply? Do we know how that will apply to the joint meeting? Like if the planning commission has one set of rules for remote um, participate public comment and we have a different set of rules how which rules will apply or we will, will we come up with our own rules mm-hmm. for remote communication um, for the joint meeting I'm presuming we will probably use what whatever the Planning Commission has because it's but I'm not sure Deputy City Attorney Peter Milianich, I am also not sure of the answer to your question. I'll need to confer with Planning Commission Council and um, get back to you with information on the um, allowable remote public comment at that joint hearing. Um, thank you. My related to that is how does the how does that apply for translation? Um, so many of our public comment requires translation, and we allow them to double their comment time. Uh, does that when we have a limit, so if we have a 20 minute limit, does that mean, does that include translation time or does that not include the translation time? I believe that's, it, that's a little different because uh, you know, for members of the public who require translation or persons with disabilities, they, they're automatically allowed more time. Okay. Um, typically for translation, we, we just, we double the time, but you know, in a special circumstances, uh, I think we do have to we have to make changes as as allowed for especially especially for persons with disabilities or wonderful yeah I just want to contemplate this before we're in the meeting oh okay yeah, yeah that 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 is a different kind of set of rules okay. than just regular public comment okay perfect thank you any other commissioner comments questions and thank at you, any sir. other time um, if there are any items for the regular May meeting you can um, reach out to me so um, next we have item nine, uh, director's report, 9A, director's update. Thank you, Vice President uh, Tam and members of the Building Inspection Commission. Patrick O'Reardon, uh, director at DBI. Uh, I want to start with a note of appreciation we received from a customer last week. 
Charles, an architect in the city, emailed me to say, and I quote, uh, I was Im so impressed by the service from to the technical services uh, division uh, with my last two experiences with uh, Joanna Chang and Matthew Armour. They work in our technical services division and uh, uh, they respond to code questions uh, from our customers. Charles went on to say, again I quote, I emailed them the technical questions and got an answer back from them on the same day. That service uh, actually helps us to do the job better at the beginning to understand the building code and the design building safer. So great work, um, Matthew and Joanna. And uh, just moving on, uh, this afternoon, DBI and the, Perm uh, the Permit Center and City Planning are hosting a stakeholder feedback session on the site permit process. Uh, and these are the improvements we've been working on collaboratively for well over a year now. Um, you may recall the core of our uh, plan is the bifurcation of the site permit process with planning overseeing the t entitlement phase and DBI's focus will be more on the building permit review itself and the issuance of the, the permits. Um, we believe this plan can substantially reduce the timeline for developing new housing, in some cases by potentially more than a year. Uh, we're eager to hear from our stakeholders, uh, we're eager to hear our stakeholders' perspective uh, on this bold plan and hope you can join us. The meeting is from 4 to 5.30 at 49 South Van S. Uh, the meeting will be held in uh, uh, room 132 through 136. Um, we will uh, report back, obviously, to, the, to you on the commission and provide you a more detailed propo proposal at the joint uh, meeting that we just spoke to, which will be held on May 11th. And after we get input from the stakeholders, uh, we'll introduce legislation to be considered by the Board of Supervisors and um, ultimately Mayor Breed. We look forward to hearing feedback on this exciting proposal that will fundamentally change how we take in rev and review the pro and process the site permits. And that concludes my director's report. Thank you. Available for any questions. Uh, the uh, stakeholder outreach meeting is today at 4.30, at 4 o'clock, pardon me, 4 to 5.30. Also, um, sit commissioners, an email uh, reminder about that. Thank you, Director. Um, next, we have uh, 9B, update on major project. Uh, thank you again, Commissioners. Uh, this is an update on uh, major projects that, uh, where permits have either been filed, uh, issued, or um, are completed in the last month. Uh, a major project is considered a project that has a valuation of uh, $5 million or more. Valuation is, is essentially is the cost of, of the work. Uh, so uh, the next slide we have here. Um, so 
In March of 2023, one permit uh, application with an estimated valuation of five million or more was filed with DBI. This application was for 126, uh, 126 unit affordable housing development at 3485 Caesar Chavez Street, and the estimated valuation on that project is 51.4 million. Uh, and last month we issued one high value permit with a valuation of $23.5 million. This permit was for a significant expansion of University High School at 3150 California Street. Next slide, please. And lastly, DBI finaled four high value projects. Uh, the, these completed projects have a construction valuation of over $78 million, and they have added 108 new housing units. One of the projects was 108-unit affordable housing development at 500 Turk. Uh, another was for an office tenant improvement spanning seven floors at one maritime plaza. Um, thank you. That's my... Thank you. Um, do can you, commissioners have any questions on that? Okay, next we have 9C, update on DBI's finances. Good morning, commissioners. Alex Koskinen, Deputy Director of Administration. Can you please pull up the presentation? Thank you. Next slide, please. What I have for you here is the monthly finance update. The main difference this month is that year-end projections have been updated for our uh, biannual nine-month budget status update for the controller's office and the mayor's office. So we are currently 75% of the way through the year, 71 percent for labor i wanted to make this distinction labor only posts every every two weeks on a tuesday so effectively this only has about half of um uh, march's labor cost in it um and our revenue our main revenue source our charges for services are only 68 percent collected um our interest in investment income that's a significant uh, source shows, uh, does, does not show the full amount, but will, that is posted by the controller's office. And so if you see a shortfall there, that will be posted by the end of the year. And based on our uh, revised projections, as of the first nine months of the year, we project to receive $52.8 million of revenue by the end of the year, which is 5.4 million or 9% below what was budgeted. Next slide, please. So the, these are the amounts that reflect the narrative on the previous page. Um, and again, the major stories here are that revenue has slowed in quarter three of this year. So far this year, we have been um, I believe some large projects that came in towards the end of 22 uh, made us optimistic that our revenue projections would be better in the second half of the year, but we have not kept up that momentum. And um, quarter three 
of this year is slower than quarter three of last year, and it is also slower than quarter two of, of this year. Next slide, please. On the expenditure side, we, um, we are 59% spent year to date, so this we, we continue to uh, show significant expenditure savings. Um, our salaries and benefits will be slightly overspent. We're projected to be 660,000 over or over budget on labor. However, that's more than made up for with other expenditure savings. And uh, based on our updated projections, we uh, expect to spend at year end a total of $87.5 million, which is 3.2 million or 4% below budget. Next slide, please. And you'll notice, too, one very important thing to focus on is the difference between slide two, uh, or page, page three and page five here. Uh, the total difference between revenue and expenditure is projected to be negative uh, $2 million net. So we are projected to expend $2.2 million more than uh, revenue, which will, of course, need to come out of fund balance at uh, six months. So in January, we had uh, projected that our revenue deficit would be covered by our expenditure savings. However, since our revenue deficit has worsened, uh, our expenditure deficit has remained uh, relatively the same we will need to utilize additional fund balance this year to cover. And the only significant change to our expenditure projection from six month is some additional cost for item five that you heard previously, that engineering review. DBI will need to pay for those, the contractors to review those facade uh, engineering reports that we receive, and that will be a fairly significant cost. We project at least $300,000. So there are no additional funds or support for those services. There's no other fee or general fund support that we can utilize that will just have to come out of our budget. And so that is really the only change to our expenditure projections. Next slide, please. Uh, the number of permits in the following slide will reflect the worsening revenue picture that I have um, already discussed. So our number of permits throughout the year this year has uh, steadily shown 10% less than year to date in the prior year. So each month we, we've received about 10% fewer permits. However, earlier this year, valuation of 23 permits total had been higher um, year-to-date 23 compared to year-to-date 22. However, that's finally starting to change now in quarter three, and we're showing that uh, last year is catching up to where this year is. Uh, again, I think that was primarily due to some very large projects that we received in um, the, at the end of calendar year 22. So next slide, please. And this, this shows it. So I think uh, 
last year we had gotten in the final two tiers, those five large projects, we had gotten those earlier in the year than the five large projects in 22. But now we're starting to see that 22 valuations have caught up and exceeded uh, 23 valuations same time year to date. I also want to give a quick update on the fee study. Um, at this point, we believe more work is needed to refine some of the underlying estimates of the fee study. Some of the made two of the major components, there are three major components, I'd say, determining costs, um, doing a time study to allocate those costs to each fee, seeing how much time it takes to, to process each type of fee. Uh, and then the third piece is estimating the volume of number of permits for each type of permit so we can estimate the total revenue we'll receive. Uh, we have completed the first part. We have developed uh, a rate for admin services, permit services, inspection services, and now we are working to refine our time study, really going fee by fee, department by department to determine how much time does it really take to process a permit fee for a 50 to $200 million valuation project? And each, each type of fee we're, we're going through and doing that. So our revised estimate for when, and, and also the volume, estimated volume is a very critical piece. If we estimate a volume that's too high, if we think, oh, we'll get 500 of these permits next year and we only get 400, then we will under collect revenue. So it's very important that we get that right or as close to right as we can. It's a very difficult estimate to make. Who knows how much work and which types of permits will come in next year. We plan to meet with the Office of Economic Analysis at the controller's office to just do our best to really come up with the best estimate that we can. Um, so we think time frame one to two months to have a final report. And because of the looming budget deadlines that we have, the plan for now is to propose an across some sort of across the board increase, say let's increase all fees by 10% or some sort of some amount, um, add those amounts to the budget. And then when the fee study is complete, come back and uh, change the building code with uh, update based on the results of the completed fee study. And that is the report for this month. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Is there a draft right now of the, the I guess you're still drafting the fee study, right? You're still kind of working on that. Is there, there kind of a rough? We draft? have some preliminary amounts, but there are significant problems, or there is there are significant issues. We have concerns again that the volume data and some of the time study uh, uh, underlying assumptions need to be changed to give realistic amounts. So we do have a completed model. And we're now just refining the inputs to that model to give um, output that we think is, is reasonable. When do you think a final draft or a final copy would be ready for our review? What we are, our current estimate is one to two months. Okay. And so 
more work also needs to be done about the timing of legislation. If, if we do complete the fee study, I do not think it will be possible to change the budget at that point, but can we change if the change to the building code is done through budget trailing legislation, could we possibly change that before the mayor signs it August 1st? There's some, there's some questions that need to be answered there, so we'll, we'll speak with city attorney and um, we'll work with, with Carl Nisita and uh, Christine Gasparic to resolve those issues and, and figure out the, the timing of everything. And also, one last thing to present is the timeline of the effectiveness of fees. It, we think that the earliest that new fees could possibly be effective is October 1st. There is, so legislation is unlikely to be signed before August 1st when the mayor signs the, the full budget for next year. And there is a 60-day waiting period, I believe that's state mandated, that requires an, another 60-day waiting period on top of that. So for fiscal year 23-24, we will only be able to collect three quarters of a year of these new, hopefully higher revenues. And lastly, of course, we're working very closely with the mayor's office to align any increases with the mayor's policy goals and ensure that uh, any changes we make to fees will not harm any economic recovery and will help um, ma maintain will help maintain and increase any any future economic activity. Thank you. Any other comments from my fellow commissioners? No. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next, we have item 9D, update on proposed or recently enacted state or local legislation. Vice Chair Tam, Commissioners, Carl Nacito, Legislative Affairs Manager. As the presentation comes up. I'll start with some recently passed legislation, including an amendment to the building and police codes for the labor compliance bond requirement. That ordinance passed on April 12th at the Board of Supervisors and is now awaiting the mayor's signature. Next slide. Uh, there was also the ordinance to amend the planning and building codes to increase fines and penalties for violations of the planning and building code. That ordinance passed on March 21st and the mayor signed on March 28th, so it will go into effect at the end of this month. Next slide. Moving to some proposed legislation. You heard the ordinance to amend the existing building code for the fa facade inspections. Thank you for considering that one. Next slide. You also heard the ordinance for the awning fee waiver program. Thanks again. And that one will go on to the land use committee for their review. Next slide. An ordinance to amend the building code to outline the site permit application process was introduced recently. We'll bring that one to a future BIC meeting and then it will go on to the land use committee. Next slide. There was also an ordinance to amend the campaign and government code to create a permit prioritization task force with DBI, planning, public works, and other permitting agencies to create guidelines for permit prioritization. That ordinance is awaiting a rules committee hearing. Next slide. I don't actually have a slide for the ordinance, 
to amend the planning and building codes to achieve policy outcomes for residential use in the downtown area and to economically revitalize downtown, including facilitating adaptive reuse of office buildings to residential. Um, that ordinance was introduced last week and we'll bring it to you for your review at your next regular BIC meeting. And on this slide, there was also a hearing held on April 3rd uh, to discuss the budget and legis legislative analysts policy report on adaptive reuse. President Vito asked about that one last time that hearing was held on April 3rd and included a presentation from Spur, Gensler, and ULI and the planning department that represented um, the city overall, including DBI and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. The hearing mostly focused on um, the financial aspects of adaptive reuse, like streamlining permitting, adjusted impact fees, adjusted affordability requirements, and tax and financial incentives to encourage uh, such adaptive reuse. Next slide. A couple more hearings coming down the way, both of which have not been scheduled yet. A hearing on the high-rise window failures and also a hearing to monitor Tenants and Owners Development Corporation and uh, Supervisor Stephanie has asked DBI to report at that hearing as well. And next slide. There's just a summary of the state legislative session so far. There's been 2,844 bills introduced. As you know, it's the first year of a two-year session. Our um, CALBO, the California, forget the acronym, but the building officials organization that we're a part of, uh, they've got 22 high-priority bills that they're tracking and over 100 other bills that they're tracking. Just so you know, committee meetings at the Capitol are happening between March and May and some other deadlines coming up. And the last day for fiscal committees to hear and report on bills that would have a fiscal impact is May 19th of this year. Happy to answer any questions. Fellow commissioners. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. And our next item is 9E, update on inspection services. Uh, good morning, commissioners. I'm Matthew Green, uh, Chief Building Inspector of Inspection Services. Um, I'm pleased to provide an update on the activities and performance of our Inspection Services Division. Um, in March, the Building Electrical and Plumbing Divisions conducted 11,382 inspections. 96% of those inspections were conducted within two business days of the date requested by the customer, meeting our target of 90%. Uh, in the same month, our housing inspection services conducted 1,164 inspections, with 236 of them being routine inspections of multifamily housing. The building, electrical, and plumbing divisions received 511 complaints and responded to 99% of them within three business days, well exceeding our target of 85%. Our code enforcement division sent 85 cases on to director's hearing. Our, our housing inspection services received 77 safety and heat complaints and responded to 88% of them within one business day. They received 440 other complaints and responded to 90% of them within three business days. Housing Inspection Services also abated 460 cases uh, with notices of violation and sent 47 new cases to director's hearings. Um, thank you. I'm available for any questions you may have. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there any public comment on the director's report items 9A through E? Good morning. My name is Jerry Drattler, and I have three questions on the expenditure table on page five. The first question is the city grant program that was budgeted at $5.7 million that is currently projected to be $4.9 million. So I'd like to know what programs weren't funded. Second question is services other departments. The budget for 2022 is $26 million. The current uh, projected is $21 million. So I'd like to know how we were able to achieve a $5 million reduction. That's pretty significant. The third question is non-operating, which is budgeted for 2022 at $20 million. It's budgeted for 2023 at $25 million. And the year-to-date actuals for nine months are slightly less than $2 million. So what's the projected total for 2023? Thank you very much. Any additional public comment? Okay. Um, seeing none, we'll go to item 10 review and approval of the minutes of the regular meeting of March 15, 2023. Move to approve. Seconded. Okay, so there is a motion and a second to approve the minutes. Is there any public comment? Um, seeing none, are all commissioners in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay, then the minutes are approved. Thank you. Um, next, we have item 11, adjournment. Is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. Okay, all commissioners in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, we are now adjourned. It is 10.24 a.m. San Francisco Government Television.